Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Patrice Jackson Ayatunde to the podcast. Dr. Jackson Ayatunde is an Associate Professor of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. She also runs a research lab there which focuses on early drug discovery and design of potential compounds to treat epilepsy. She has been working in epilepsy research for more than 20 years and is a longtime fundraiser through her involvement with the UMES Strides for Epilepsy 5K. She is here to explain the process of finding and creating new epilepsy drugs in the academic space, as well as to discuss her fundraising efforts. Dr. Jackson Ayatunde, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you. Um, To start off, I want to get a little bit of your background. Can you tell us how long you have been doing epilepsy research and what drew you to the field? Uh, Let me first say thank you for uh, having me, inviting me to do this uh, podcast. So I have been in the field of um, drug discovery for potential anti-seizure agents for about 23 years, which tells uh, a a little bit uh, how maybe old I am, Uh, but I started work um, during my master's uh, at Tennessee State University. I, um, my master's in organic chemistry, so I was in the lab of Dr. Cosmos Okoro, who is still there, and his focus at the time was drug design and discovery of a novel potential um, anti-epilepsy uh, uh, agents. And so that's where I was first introduced to um, the neurological disorder. Um, And I became very passionate about the field. Um, From Tennessee State University, I then moved on to Howard University in DC, worked under Dr. Kenneth Scott, uh, who had a library of over 200 compounds, uh, all uh, with the focus of finding, um, discovering a, a treatment for epilepsy. Uh, and so my passion for the epilepsy uh, field grew and grew from there until joining UMES uh, in 2010 uh, as assistant professor on the tenure track, having my own laboratory, designing, discovering, developing potential anti-epileptic drugs. Well, we are incredibly grateful for your years of dedication uh, in epilepsy research, but specifically to this particular focus. I want to dive a little deeper into what it is that you do specifically in your lab, because you are not studying epilepsy or the brain or seizures, as we've had um, lots of other researchers on the podcast talking about, you are specifically studying and researching compounds that hopefully could then go on to become treatments. Is that correct? 
That's correct, Kelly. So my laboratory engages in what's considered to be early uh, drug discovery uh, and development of small molecules or small compounds that could uh, be used for treatment of my focus is generalized epilepsy uh, and drug resistant epilepsy. All right, so I'm going to hit pause on what you do in your lab for a minute so that we can get some definitions of some words so that moving forward, all of our lay listeners who do not have uh, PhDs uh, will be able to follow along with our conversation. You talked about a molecule and a compound. What is the difference between those two? And what is a, I think generally we understand what a molecule is, but what is a compound? Yeah, so um, everything starts with chemistry. Chemistry is in everything, especially organic chemistry. So that's your molecule or your compound. And so in a drug um, regimen, uh, even if you go to look at the back of your bottle of aspirin or your Tylenol, you will see a term uh, or an acronym for active pharmaceutical ingredient. And so that active pharmaceutical ingredient is that compound, that molecule, that chemical uh, compound, that chemical molecule that is, that's in the drug with different other, what we call excipients, but other ingredients to make that tablet. But the important af uh, active pharmaceutical ingredient is that chemical compound that reduces the fever, reduces the headache. And so that's what my um, lab focused on is to design, uh, develop that active pharmaceutical ingredient. It's an art. So we do art of, uh, I call it art of drug design. So we pretty much a lot of times in my lab, we might start from a blank canvas or we may start from something that's known. And then uh, to, as an artist, you start to develop uh, and create a, a new compound in hopes that it will be effective in preclinical studies. Okay. Thank you for that. That was so super helpful. Um, I also would love to get an understanding. Um, you sort of talk about efficacy and toxicology also, I think are two words that are going to come up for us here. Can you define those for us? Yes. Because I do early drug discovery, preclinical studies is what my compounds are involved in. So uh, in vitro studies, which are studies in uh, in the cell or in a petri dish or what have you using a microscope and with that um, how we define uh, or determine that our compounds are efficacious are effective at um, stopping or reducing uh, seizures in the animal i do have uh, a partnership with nih uh, the National Institute for Dis uh, Neurological Disorders and Stroke, they have uh, a program called the Epilepsy Screening Therapy Program. And in that program, uh, they do 
uh, in vivo in the animal type of studies. And in those preclinical studies, our compounds are tested for efficacy if they are effective at stopping the seizure. Uh, toxicology that is related to side effects, adverse reactions. And so we know that the um, anti-seizure drugs or anti-epileptic uh, drugs that are currently on the market, one of the issues is the side effect profile. And so um, in researching uh, potential therapies is not only for them to be effective uh, or efficacious, but also for the drugs to be safe and have limited side effects. And so that's the difference between the term efficacious and toxicology. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that. And I also think it's incredible the partnership with the NINDS through the NIH that you don't have to have the animal models in your lab, that you can just work on the compounds. Because I know that sometimes getting those animal models um, with the specific, you know, the specific animal models that you need, that that can be incredibly difficult, um, you know, maintaining them and all of that. That's incredible to me that those kind of programs exist. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Did you know that 30% of those diagnosed with epilepsy do not respond to current medications? That is why for 25 years, Cure Epilepsy has been committed to inspiring hope and delivering impact by funding patient-focused research to find a cure for epilepsy. Learn more about our mission and our research by visiting cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. Okay, so now that we have a better understanding of all the terminology, I want to dig into what that drug discovery process looks like in your lab. What is it that you're doing on a daily basis? My training is medicinal chemistry. So that's what we do in my lab, medicinal chemistry. Uh, and as you said, Kelly, I do not have any animals in my lab. So we only do the chemistry. We only do designing uh, and uh, synthesizing or just making of the compound. So you're you're testing these compounds. You're working on them, but where do you get them from? How to where where what is their origin story? So uh, from working in uh, with Dr. Kenneth Scott at Howard University, some assistant professors will have to start really really from scratch, and I didn't have to necessarily do that. Um, I was able to take what I had started working on in my PhD and carry it on uh, to my new lab at UMES uh, and start to develop and um, design and create compounds uh, that are potentially to be used uh, in the epilepsy models. And so where we start from wasn't a blank, blank canvas per se, what are the steps that you take from choosing which compound to ideally sending it off to the NIH to have it tested in animals? Everything pretty much starts at um, looking, researching, uh, looking at uh, various articles that are uh, out there, other labs that uh, are doing similar work. Um, and then looking within uh, our compounds, um, looking at what has been done, what has been tested, 
And so we look within and out to uh, come up with our new chemical compounds uh, in terms of what we design. So everything is done really, first of all, on a computer system. And then once uh, through that computer system, the compound has been designed, we uh, feed it through a, a software that can um, basically uh, determine if the compound is druggable in the sense that it should be able to get to the brain. We okay, that was going to be my next question. I was yeah. like, okay, druggable. Does that mean that it can like be distributed in like a, a pill form or a capsule form or that you're actually talking about like it making its way through the, the blood brain barrier? barrier. And, yes, okay. correct. Yeah, that it has um, a high um, affinity probability to get across into the brain. Uh, that's very important for us to know because epilepsy is a brain disorder. So we want the drug to get to the brain. Uh, that's very significant. If other parameters uh, are checked, if there's any red flags, uh, the software that we use can even tell us uh, if the compound has the potential of being toxic uh, uh, and, and what those toxicities could look like. Uh, and so once we uh, have determined that our, our that our compound is druggable through this particular software, then the next step is actually to make it, um, is actually to come up with uh, a, race, a, a recipe, a recipe to actually make the compound. And once we have made the compound, the next step is to purify the compound. I asked my students, do you want to take a drug that's that's, that, that's crude or not purified, of course not. Uh, so we have to purify our compounds. We use a lot of technology, a lot of instruments to determine that uh, we have the chemical structure, uh, that the compound is pure. Uh, and once we have that data, uh, that we have um, determined that yes, we have made the desired chemical compound. Yes, the chemical compound is a purified compound. The next step is to send it off to the NIH, the Epilepsy Therapy Screening Program. They ask for a certain amount. We are able to give them that certain amount, certain amount to test in uh, their battery of um, mice and rat uh, models for uh, seizures. Now, I want to take that sort of timeline a, a step further. Let's say the NIH determines that it is effective and the toxicity is acceptable. Um, what happens to the drug then, or to the compound, excuse me? Once they have determined that it is effective um, and the uh, side effect profile is looking pretty good. Um, then the request is for more compound uh, for them to do more advanced studies, detailed toxicity studies, for example. There's uh, studies to say, okay, what is the distribution? Okay, the animal is taking this medicine uh, either orally or through injection. How is it distributed in the body? How much of that compound is actually getting to the brain. And so there's more advanced studies that will need to be done. 
if that drug continues to check through and pass through those advanced studies, then the next step uh, would be for things to be produced on a much larger scale, very similar to how it is in the pharmaceutical industry, and to go through those check marks uh, before going first in man. Now, I understand that in 2018, you received a patent for a compound that could potentially lead to a new drug uh, for treatment-resistant epilepsy. Can you tell us about that compound and, and what happened to it since 2018? Yes. Yeah, so uh, in 2018, it was um, a series of compounds. It was a small library of um, similar compounds that a similar class of chemical compounds that I had made in uh, during my dissertation studies that were effective, uh, very efficacious in the um, drug-resistant animal model that NIH had. On those series of compounds, uh, NIH and I, we have moved forward or from those compounds. We have developed, I have, my lab has developed a new a uh, class of compounds that are more effective, uh, that have a safer profile than the ones with the patent in 2018. And so uh, right now we're more focused on a new chemical class of compounds that my lab is working on. So that is based on the original compounds from 2018 have now been um modified changed. modified yeah. and improved to be better more effective um less side effects what are the next steps for that compound so you go back and you do this testing again at some point when does it end up with a pharmaceutical company so uh currently um just maybe like a month ago we submitted um a patent a new patent on a new class of compounds uh, that um, are effective uh, for generalized and drug-resistant uh, epilepsy, according to the NIH. So uh, more detailed preclinical um, studies that would need to be done uh, to uh, determine the safety of the compounds, uh, as well as the, F the effect of the compounds uh, before going into man. So that would be years. But uh, I am fortunate enough that there is a small pharmaceutical company that is interested uh, in working uh, with my lab, working with um, myself and, and, and my team uh, to actually uh, develop drugs to go first in man. So I'm really excited about that, that new collaboration. So it's quite a process it sounds like to yes. get a drug into the hands of a pharmaceutical company that can then be developed and tested in humans and ideally into the market to to cure epilepsy's horn a little we are so proud that we personally have our catalyst program which is sort of um we learn from talking to scientists like yourself that there is this sort of there's a gap where you will you know, a researcher will develop a compound, you will get it approved, there'll be a patent, but there is this gap, this need getting it from that animal testing model to a human testing model. 
um, getting it into to the first in man test because so much additional research needs to be done, which is important. We need to keep, you know, we need to keep people safe. We don't want to, you know, be haphazardly throwing drugs on out into the world. However, um, there's this gap in funding. And so, you know, this is something that Cure Epilepsy has taken very seriously and listening to researchers to try and meet this demand, this research gap to help push these potential compounds forward so that we can help get them ideally to market faster. Um, All that said, um, I also know that, you know, we're talking about, you know, decades for these compounds to be studied before they ever make it into a pharmacy. I think that there was a bit of misconception when the COVID vaccines made it onto the market as quickly as they did, that this was something that was feasible and could happen with other um, vaccines or drugs or treatments. I'm wondering, with your experience, do you wish to see that um, that sort of FDA approval timeline sped up? Are there ways that it could be sped up? Should it be sped up? Uh, that's a really good question. That's that's actually a hot topic right now um, to uh, shorten that timeline because drug uh, to to go from ten thousand potential chemical compounds. Uh, in the lab that that would go through cell studies, go through animal testing to the one drug from that group of 10,000 for that one drug to make it to the market in the hands of the pharmacist, uh, that length of time could be anywhere from 15 to 20 years. Billions, billions, billions of dollars, millions of dollars spent on research uh, for that to happen. And so um that's that's the drug discovery process it's painful to hear that as a mother you know you, you know for anyone for a patient you know, the, there's so many people out there who are desperate for these treatments and to hear 15 to 20 years it's like a sucker punch you know so on the lay side here we're like oh my gosh speed it up what are your feelings on that well, I really do think that because safety is first, safety outweighs um, efficacy a lot of times. A lot of drugs don't make it to the market because of their side effect profile. In terms of the efficacy, uh, that's a check mark. But safety um, is just not good and that therefore it doesn't make it. Would I like to see that timeline uh, shorten for for it for it to be less. That will be great. What what happened with COVID is that work was already b- been done in in behind the scenes. And so when it came to uh, making the vaccines uh, for COVID, it was easy because work had already uh, research was already ongoing uh, in the background. What uh, several labs are doing now is to is going back to say, hey, let's look at what has been made, produced. Can we take that and modify that, uh, those drugs uh, to either increase the efficacy or decrease the side effects of that drug so it can be more efficacious and safe. Uh, and so that's what uh, some researchers are doing. 
but when you start at a blank, a blank canvas, as you will, uh, and you go through the art of drug discovery and you're making uh, new compounds, it's going to be uh, that length of time. And I think that to go through the safety channels, the efficacy testing that the compound must do at the preclinical level, as well as the clinical level, I think is important. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I also, I would love for you to share, um, you had mentioned earlier uh, in an earlier conversation with us about um, the, the history or the story behind Kepra and how that came to market. I would love for you to share that story because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, um, Kepra, I love to talk about how Kepra was uh, discovered. It always gives me hope because I call the drug that make it to, to the marketing class, I call it uh, when I'm teaching the golden egg. And I, as a medicinal chemist, I'm always like, well, you never know where the golden egg is. Uh, and so, um, Kepra is that uh, compound that is widely used uh, in the field of epilepsy to treat uh, epileptic patients. And uh, Kepra was that chemical compound that was tested in preclinical models. And uh, compared to phenytoin, um, it did not test well. Uh, and it was a group of scientists that said, well, let's, um, resurrect this other model, uh, that is used for drug resistant epilepsy and, and let's test careful in that model. Now when phenytoin, which is the, uh, godfather of all of the epilepsy, epilepsy drugs, when uh, phenytoin was actually tested in this resurrected model, it was not effective, uh, but Kepra was. Uh, and just the, the point that that determination, that persistence, uh, I like about what the researchers did because Kepra could have been in the back uh, of a storage space or in a uh, drawer and we would have never known about uh, the efficacy and safety of that drug. Which sort of goes to show, I suppose, that if you, you rush science, you could be missing the golden eggs that you yes. speak of. Now, you are not just an epilepsy researcher, you are also a fundraiser. You and your students are longtime fundraisers. In fact, one of our longest running Cure Champions events UMES Strides for Epilepsy 5K. You're just you just completed your 10th year, which is amazing. Tell us about the event and how it got started. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, about it. When I got the email from Cure Epilepsy, uh, letting me know that our race or our event was one of the longest running events. That just I mean, my smile was so huge and I couldn't wait to tell the students. We just celebrated our 10th uh, annual 5K Strides for Epilepsy at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore School of Pharmacy. So I am the faculty advisor of the Pharmacy Student Government Association, PSGA for short. 
um, back in, I want to say it was around 2011, 2012, uh, where the president and the executive board of PSGA, they were interested in doing something really big to involve the community and to uh, bring awareness to a particular disorder, bring awareness to the School of Pharmacy, uh, because at that time we were really uh, new. Uh, and so the students wanted to do something big. And uh, they surprised me by telling me that we want to do a 5K or raise uh, for epilepsy and to raise funds for your research. And I, I was really surprised. I was like, wow, that's great. Uh, that's a great idea. Uh, because of uh, the university, I will not be able, you cannot do that <laughs> for my research, but thank you for um, uh, supporting. But then I told the students, I thought about it and I said, well, for the community uh, and on the national front, uh, we can uh, donate the proceeds from the proceeds from the race can go to Cure, uh, Cure Epilepsy Now, and uh, a local um, uh, organization. So now the race, 10 years, um, student-led, um, they organize uh, the race and and promote it and advertise. We get help from from Cure. We get swag from Cure, and so uh, yeah, that that's five K strides for epilepsy at UMES. I love it so much, and we are so incredibly grateful uh, to you and your students for putting that event together and. We're honored to be uh, one of the beneficiaries of that event. It, it's just, it's incredible. I, you know, you are in such a unique position being a researcher in the epilepsy space, being a fundraiser um, and, and, you know, really putting yourself into this community in that way. I wonder, you know, where have we made progress during your, you know, 20 plus years in the epilepsy field and conversely where do we still have a lot of work to do wow that that's a really good question i, I think that we have made some some strides we keep striving forward but i think we have made some home runs uh for sure in the field of epilepsy uh but we have uh things that we can continue to do i think to bring awareness um to epilepsy uh, in the community, uh, to the folks on the Hill, legislators and things of that nature that could help bring more money to the research. Uh, epilepsy is one of the fourth uh, uh, leading neurological disorders that we have. So you, as I tell my students, it's not the, the hottest topic. Um, unfortunately, but it's one that if we could scream it from the rooftops, we, we need to continue to do that to help the individuals that suffer uh, from this um, really harsh disorder. Yeah. 
Research is the key. That is for sure. Dr. Patrice Jackson Ayatunde, we are so grateful for your time, for your efforts, your expertise. It has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and to learn from you today. And just know that as a community, we are incredibly grateful for the work that you do. Thank you so much, Kelly. I I have had a really good time uh, chatting with you and I thank you guys again for for this opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Jackson Ayatunde, for your continued work in epilepsy research. And thank you to both you and your students for 10 years of supporting Cure Epilepsy's research with the 5K Strides for Epilepsy event. We're looking forward to 10 more years. If you would like to support Cure Epilepsy's mission to end epilepsy by becoming a Cure Epilepsy champion like Patrice and her students, please contact events at cureepilepsy.org. Cure Epilepsy inspiring hope, and delivering impact. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure Epilepsy. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.